So we're back uh, after our short break. Uh, we're here and it's Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast about deep cuts and hot cookies. And uh, once again, I'm Tim Lindsay. And I'm Christian Bonner. And uh, when we last left off, we sort of, you know, did the back-to-back singles on the record, which was, uh, well, I guess Out of Control isn't, you know, really recognized at the time so much as a big single, but it's certainly a standout track from the album. And then, of course, Saint of Me, which had the music video and the... Which is a great video. Yeah, somewhat controversial track, but it is a really cool song. And uh, now we're on to the sort of the back half of the record, or the, as Christian calls it, the apotheosis. Yeah, um... Uh, so we're getting into might as well get juiced and might as well get juiced is normally the point where if there are any older fans in the room that they're going to leave or yeah. turn it off because uh, synthesizers scare them. Yeah. And it starts with a pretty aggressive sort of production technique, which is that very delayed kind of hip hop sounding synthesizer drone. Yeah. And so my first experience with the Rolling Stones Really, I mean, I'd heard, I'd obviously heard their songs, but uh, I went to see them on the No Security tour, and they used a instrumental remix of "Might as Well Get Juiced" as their walk-on song, and like that had an astounding impact on me. The first time you hear that, that that sub bass, yeah, thing like that's it's it, almost like a WWE walkout track. It was very much like that. They did the whole thing, like the the whole opening video is them walking through. Like it, it, I don't know where they shot it, but it's supposed to look like they're they're coming through the industrial unfurnished part of the stadium, right? And they get in an elevator, yeah. And then they come up, and then that motif is kind of repeated because again, out of control on that tour, Mick did it inside a cage, and he would break out of the cage, right? It's it's funny that there's so little documentation of the No Security tour. Um, because I know that there's a lot of people who really, really like it. And, yeah, it's and, been rumored as a well, one of the From the Vault shows that they might have on video, they might clean it up someday. I would now, really the whole, appreciate that. The whole thing has been shot, and the definitive bootleg of that tour, there are two. There's Toronto, February 25th, 1999, my first concert ever, and there's San Diego. Somebody managed to get a bunch of the footage, and they synced it all up to, to my show's bootleg. Um, so anyway, we just have to say that we want to do that, but we really want to talk about might as well get juiced. And what's cool about it is that it's, it's equal parts. You know, somebody said that honky tonk woman is equal parts country and blues. Like one of those, um, lenticular cards of Jesus where he's right. on the cross and he's happy, you know? So this is the same sort of thing. It's like, it's like equal parts hip hop and blues. And yeah. Ke- Keith has this, Keith is always like, oh, I saved the rehearsal take that's just pure blues and I like it better. And I'm saying, Keith, if you have this, like, let us judge. Yeah. I want to hear it. Let the people hear for themselves. And you know what, though? I do like that it has, you know what, hip hop's backbeat and, you know, its use of big reverbed and delayed synthesizer tones and everything owes a lot to kind of the rock and new wave rock that, you know, those sort of textures became fashionable again in the 90s. A lot of people were going back and sampling people like Gary Newman, Kraftwerk, um, all these bands that were using primitive synthesizer tones just because it sounded great through a big sound system. And the drum sounds on that are like almost claustrophobically close to you. Like it is... It's like when the levee breaks in a in sort of backbeat. It, that's, that's true. And and uh, it is it is a performance, but I think it's processed to the point where it's supposed to sound like it's sampled. Yeah. Um, there may be some... And there may be some looping elements. It's probably something that came out of mixed demo studio at home or something mm-hmm. like that but yeah i mean i don't really have it's it's also 
uh, he quotes tumbling dice. Yeah. What's this crazy game? Sixes, seven, eights, nines. Yeah. So there's some element there of, you know, the might as well get juiced line being a sort of, well, you can indulge your habit. You know, yeah, because let, it's let yourself off the leash. only a person with adult children that have left the house could have written that song, and <laughs> and I think that that's another reason why it sets people off, why it sets older fans off so much because they start thinking, oh, Mick Jagger can't be old because that means I'm old. He right. said that uh, somebody posted that recently because it was his birthday, and uh, they said um, that you know Mick said you know they want you to be the same as you were in 1969 because if you've grown old, then then that means they've grown old, right? And I think that that explains, like Tim and I are both uh, in our thirties, and so looking back at this, like as I've as I've been saying, Bridges to Babylon was one of my first. It was very current. It was the newest one when mm-hmm. I when I first got into the Stones, and so like my parents weren't really into it into the Stones. I mean, they were, but they didn't. They weren't like fans, and they didn't constantly tell me, you know, oh, this is the you have to like Exile on Main Street, but you can't like go to Said Soup or you can't like this. And you know, there's a lot of a lot of older fans do that, and they just want you to hate what what they hate and so i i didn't ever really have that and i actually it was the it was the maturity i think of of bridges to babylon that that spoke to me because sure. when you're 14 you you want to be in the adult world so what's more adult than <laughs> than <laughs> going out and getting stoned no but it's like divorce divorce is a prominent theme on the record yep um and that's something you kind of have to deduce yeah from a lot of the lyrics but strife in the you know the marital bliss section of the protagonist's life is certainly a motivator here yeah it's not it's not um kind of like the usual rock and roll thing of just like we're going to talk about cars and girls and and getting f***ed up like there's there's a lot of texture and there's a lot of depth to it that i think is underrated because people just go oh i don't want the stones to use synthesizers but what you have here now and like this album is stands astride again that classic era of experimentation and also the intervening years of influence so you have doug wimbish playing bass guitar through a very modern sounding setup and those crazy sort of pedals that it's an auto drag. yeah it's an it's auto of some kind it's yeah. an Ottawa or, or envelope filter which yeah. Wimbish is is uh, pretty adept at using and I know he was mixed pick to replace Bill Wyman Bill yeah Wyman, so uh, the relationship while. between uh, people don't really appreciate this but Living Color no one wanted to sign Living Color because a black rock hard rock metal band didn't make sense to people right. Um, and Living Color is great if you haven't heard them. And the only reason, their first record, Mick Jagger paid to, to get their first record made and then just said, because no one would invest in them. And he just said, look, I've made, like, it's done now. Yeah. Just put this out. And um, also Bernard Fowler was kind of associated. I, I bet you that's how it's somehow through those guys, because they're all part of the same kind of New York session people. Yeah. Crew. That's circuit. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so Wimbish, the thought of Wimbish being in the Stones is certainly like really cool. Not that like I love Daryl Jones. Yeah. Um. It, it wouldn't have been that different, really. Yeah, I think there would have been a few more tracks that sound like this. They're a little bit outre in the bass department, whereas I think Daryl plays very tastefully and and somewhat conservatively compared to what we know he's capable of doing. You know, most of the time he sits in the pocket, and that's very hard to do. And I admire him for it. But Wimbish has a lot more embellishment up further up the neck and with all those effects and things that he uses that i mean occasionally having a few more tracks like that in the catalog mixed in might have mixed things up a bit better but 
you know, a lot of people didn't care for it at all. And a lot of people hate this song. So Yeah. And uh, we're just trying to say that they're wrong. The last song on side three, Always Suffering, is uh, real epic in terms of production value. Um, Really excellent lyrics to this yeah. song. Absolutely excellent lyrics. Probably of the, it's close to like the Hank Williams thing of like saying incredibly complex emotion with mm-hmm. very simple lyrics. Yeah. And it is, it is poetic and there is some abstraction in it, but it's not like, you know, Adele lyrics or Bob Dylan lyrics that are just gibberish and people spend their lives trying to find the meaning of them. Like many people have pointed out, I wouldn't be the first person to say this. Many people have said always suffering is a song about divorce mm-hmm. and that uh, it's probably about ending his relationship with Jerry Hall. Uh, re- but I, I, I don't know. I always have time for this song. I always think that it um, it works for me. I've never, I've never, I don't think I've ever skipped over it. No, it is it's so m- mature in its approach that you kind of wonder for a second, like, is this actually the Rolling Stones? Like, this is something like that they don't often attempt in terms of emotional depth. And, and interestingly enough, I think that it actually kind of prefigured the territory that we ended up in on a bigger bang because a lot of a bigger bang um there's certainly stuff that is um, harkening back to the kind of rip-roaring juvenile there definitely is that stuff on a bigger bang but there's also there's always hidden now towards the end like on voodoo lounge it's um it's a combination of blinded by rainbows and uh baby break it down Mm -hmm. that are the real like that's the real truth and they're always hidden towards the end of the record right because you have to do a certain amount of work if they if you put them too early on the record you wouldn't feel like you earned them yeah so this is where i think that i think tim and i both in agreement here that that the sequencing of bridges to babylon is really 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 important in in how it tells its story and this is something actually don voss doesn't get any credit for at all like you know you can totally disagree with us if you don't like the way he gets sounds or you don't like the way he you know encourages the stones to write fine you're entitled to your opinion but don voss knew exactly what he was doing when he took this crazy epic mountain of session tapes that they had spun out over the course of the months that they were recording this record and distilled it down to this one hour of very diverse but um cohesive songwriting and production value no it's it's i i know that i'm a zealot for the stones but like this record is so important for me uh i've always tried to emulate its eclecticism because i think there's something really interesting that happens when you have a bunch of different styles of music and you leave the audience you have to you have to be a good producer in order to make them all sound like they're from the same record that usually happens somewhere around mixing or the overdubs. But I think that there's something interesting that happens when you force your audience to find the connections between, you know, this kind of snarling aggressive rock and then more like moody down tempo R&B and these ballads. When you really start to the, 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 none of their records, none of their records are concept records. Um, maybe Satanic Majesties. But there's something that happens when you imply a narrative without actually stating it. Really, Bridges to Babylon is the closest thing they've ever done to XL on Main Street. Mm-hmm. It as absolutely as, is. Yeah, having I mean, the thread that carries over four sides of record, really. I was just complaining about this. The idea that XL on Main Street is, for, is somehow about the itinerant music of the, the 30s is just wrong. 
It, it doesn't sound anything like that. Like, if lo- anything, it sounds more like the fifties, like the the stuff that's live off the floor, not stuff like let rip it loose this joint. or yeah, yeah, but rip this joint. Even tumbling dice to a certain extent, like you know, it sounds like a band in a tiled room, which is essentially what it is, and what all those fifties recordings that they loved were. Yeah, and like, this doesn't. It sounds like a very well treated, like acoustically perfect room. Yeah, with a really good band playing. So, in it. so I guess that's I guess that's all we can say about Always Suffering. But I could talk about that forever. The other thing that I want to mention is that there's a fantastic song that was cut from Bridges to Babylon. Ah, uh, yes. Called Any Way You Look At It. Yeah, later a B-side. It's the B-side to say to me. Mm-hmm. I bought the single at Vortex Records just to hear this track, and it was later uh, re-released on... Rarities 71 to 2000, whatever Yeah, it the is. Starbucks record, which yeah. is out of print now, too. Yeah. So if you want to hear Through the Lonely Nights or Any Way You Look At It... You've got to buy the big 45 by 45s box set like I did, like a chump. <laughs> get all those remixes. But where are you going to get the full fat remix of Out of Control? or uh, Fat Controllers, or, Out of Control. <laughs> yeah, any of those. Like, come on. You, you want those. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, check out any way you look at it. And I think that the reason it was cut is not because it sucks or anything like that. Um, that's, a, that's a dumb opinion. But the reason is there are already two very strong ballads three when you count uh how can i stop yeah but there's always this idea there's been a lot of discussion about the fighting and on this record and i don't think that the fighting really started until they were more or less done i think that um keith saying oh you stole anybody seen my baby uh from katie lang was just an attempt to obfuscate and there's all this fighting about what the predominant theme of the record should be. And Which, whole, I, in the end, I think, you know, what, didn't they have Tom Stoppard come up with the name for the album? Like, Was it Tom Stoppard? I think so. Somebody like that. Bridges to Babylon it was... was a short, I, know that, I know that somebody pitched something that Mick shortened yeah. to Bridges to Babylon. Right. Yeah, that's probably what the case was. Because Bridges to Babylon doesn't sound like a Stoppardism, but certainly something that he would have alluded to in you know thinking about the themes behind this record no and and your point about the for one thing like the tower of babel the whole story there is about urbanization yeah so this record is a very isolation yeah it's a very urban record i don't i'm not using that to mean black or hip-hop i mean it's that is literally the stupidest stupidest name for a genre in an industry that's full of them so yeah it's like what music what music isn't made if recorded music happened in cities, like the, the, the you couldn't go field recordings in terms of commercial music, nobody was going out and tracking anything in the wild, right? So you had to have anyway. This is a another no, tangent, uh, but this yeah. is another thing. <laughs> so anyway, let's move on to uh, too tight. Uh, this is a track that leads off the last side of the vinyl version of the album. Yeah, and this is a Keith song. Um, my my. My feeling is that the lyrics are ninety percent Keith, but there's there. It's funny because there are certain, there aren't a lot of yeah. And flip the switch is is very similar because it's a Keith concept or concept yeah. in writing, mm-hmm. but he still says, "Look, this is a Rolling Stone song." And Mick does the same thing, right? Like uh, around the time of, I think it's that 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 documentary being Mick from mm-hmm. around the time of Goddess in the Doorway, where he says, "Look, some of these things I write because he wrote. I think he wrote Don't Stop." Around the same time yeah. as everything from... Might have demoed a, a whole bunch of songs that end up as being some of the four forty 
licks. Yeah, and then he goes, "Okay, this is a Rolling Stones song. This is a Mick Jagger song, right?" And and Keith clearly clearly does the same thing. So too too tight is in, is really interesting. It does have a kind of extended metaphor about knots, which <laughs> is kind of it's kind of corny. Like if you really if you really get down to it, but. I do really like, I love the chord progression. I love the playing. I love the intro. Uh, it's a very, very underrated. Yeah. The bridge. Uh, so good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the solo. Everything. Yeah. Like, Too Tight is a great song, and people really uh, miss it. There's some really wonderful uh, overdubs back and forth between, I think it's most, again, I think most of the playing is Keith. The, mm-hmm. solo, the solo sounds very much like Keith. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if Woody's on that track. Um, uh, I bet he is probably just doing the kind of chugging rhythm thing off the top. Yeah, oh, and he's, can... he plays the pedal steel too. He's credited with pedal steel on this. Oh, right, there is pedal. There is some some pedal pedally steely stuff. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's Waddy and Keith as most of the previous tracks were. Yeah, so so and yeah, I think everybody everybody like again, there's this palpable sort of like there's there's this frustration in the lyric. Um, it's like, don't tell me what to do. Like, I'm, what's that line? I wrote that fucking song. Like, I wrote that fucking book, which apparently yeah. Mick did write a book <laughs> about whatever went down in the eighties. So, you know. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, there's, it's again, this, the theme that's in out of control and in might as well get juice is just like, what more do you want from yeah. us? Like what, what on earth could we possibly do? Like there, and I, I, some of, some of this, I wonder if it isn't a reaction to Voodoo Lounge because Voodoo Lounge, as much as Voodoo Lounge has new territory in it that the Stones didn't really do before, it's also one of the purest, most natural expressions of the Stones because like Steel Wheels, Steel Wheels has, you know, very pronounced LA style, late eighties production. Yeah. Undercover sounds like something from 1983. They're yeah. responding to things like Thriller. Yeah, it's the you know and and um, maybe you know even Some Girls, which you know is now so old that it's considered just a timeless classic, is very much of the moment. It's it could have only come out in 77. So maybe well, but um, we see that now with hindsight. We're now further away from bridges to babylon in time in 2017 than it was from some girls when it came out that's true um and yeah in the 90s i still remember there were plenty of people i saw somebody who was trashing everything past uh excel on main street i guess he didn't listen to anything after black and blue (laughs) and but that's something that i that's a good point too because it's like some girls was controversial even in the 90s yeah. It was controversial to say Some Girls was, was a great record. It was maybe 50-50. Some yeah. people would say yes, and some people would say no. And Tattoo You, yeah, still very unconventional as a pick for your favorite Stones record when I was... Now it's, now it's kind of considered the last good one that they did. But I was going to compare Tattoo You to Voodoo Lounge because Tattoo You isn't really of the moment. I know that since it came out, when you think of 1981, you think of Start Me Up. But Start Me Up was also recorded many years before that. It's yeah. just mixed to sound like 81. But it's like both, both of those records are just kind of like pure expressions of the Stones. They're not trying to make a comment on what's happening now. Like if Voodoo Lounge were 
really something that sounded like 94, it would have more grunge elements or it would sound like a Mariah Carey record. And it just doesn't. Yeah. And, no, and, and I don't think that this actually bridges to Babylon, you know, a track like too tight, you know, compared to other rock that was on the radio at the time, doesn't sound like third eye blind. doesn't sound like a Hanson. No, no. You know, it's got a very live in the room feel to it. That was miles away from what other people were doing at the time at, at the dawn of like the pro tools everything is like cut and sliced to within an inch of its life with the comping of every instrument. Yeah. So when you get into side four, I think everything on side four is alive. I would, I would be, I would be surprised actually if I think it's deliberately sequenced that way. But if you, if you go back through to out of control and Saint of me, you know, that those are mixed take on those songs. Whereas I think Keith kind of won the battle here for these last three and he was kind of allowed to have free reign. Yeah, so Too Tight has got, you know, that interesting rhythmic thing going on with Charlie kind of offset between Keith and Waddy's rhythm. Um, and you've got Ronnie floating over top. So there's a lot to dig into here just musically. And if you're studying how the rhythm section works for the Stones, you could do a lot worse than listening to the swing of this. Um, I love that the uh, turnaround after that bridge, you know, they instead of getting all that energy out in the bridge where it builds and builds to mix swearing about writing a book, it doesn't go into a chorus. It drops back down into the bridge. So it climaxes. Yeah. And then it yeah. comes back down. Yeah. Because, because, um, it's a, it's a dynamic shift that you see a lot where the bridge, uh, Mick uses it quite a lot, uh, where the bridge leads into the solo. Right. Uh, I've often, I've spoken about this, the structure that he uses in don't stop, uh, same, same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but don't stop has two bridges, but yeah, too tight is super cool. Um, it's clearly some kind of a live take that's been, been extensively overdubbed. Um, yeah. Cause you've got Blondie playing piano and tambourine. You've got all the backup singers, basically all the players on the record sing backup on this. You've got Ronnie on electric and on pedal steel. It's interesting because it almost, in terms of its tempo and its attitude, it almost is, it's very similar to Flip the Switch, and it kind of harkens back to how we started this whole adventure. And you have Jeff Sarley on upright again, or acoustic bass, rather, playing that on uh, Too Tight. That, uh, that uh, only proves my point further. And again, it being a Keith... Yeah. lyric sung by Mick. Too Tight is 100% Keith. He loves those extended metaphors. He loves to take, and I think it comes from blues, where you take one concept for your metaphor and you just expand upon it. Somebody said that, you know, the way you write blues is you think of an object or, or, or a person and then you think of five things you can do with it. You know, like uh, some the example was a knife. You can clean your nails with it. You can cook dinner. You can stab a man, right? So that's... <laughs> there's that's your, your there's day. your verses right there. Just <laughs> put them in the right order and you've got a story. Thanks for checking out Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast. I'm Tim Lindsay. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. We'll have some more for you very shortly about the Bridges to Babylon album and many more Rolling Stones, Deep Cuts, and Hot Cookies. If you'd like to send us your feedback or a question, send it to rollingstonespodcast at gmail.com. We'll try and respond to it as soon as we can. Until the next time we say goodbye. <laughs>